first reading is from the book of Philippians, and it can be found on page 1181, 1181 in the Church Bibles, Philippians chapter 4 from verse 10 through to verse 20. Philippians chapter 4 verse 10. I rejoiced greatly in the Lord that at last you renewed your concern for me. Indeed, you were concerned, but you had no opportunity to show it. I am not saying this because I am in need, for I have learned to be content whatever the circumstances. I know what it is to be in need, and I know what it is to have plenty. I have learned the secret of being content in any and every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want. I can do all this through him who gives me strength. Yet it was good of you to share in my troubles. Moreover, as you Philippians know, in the early days of your acquaintance with the gospel, When I set out from Macedonia, not one church shared with me in the matter of giving and receiving, except you only. For even when I was in Thessalonica, you sent me aid more than once when I was in need. Not that I desire your gifts. What I desire is that more be credited to your account. I have received full payment and have more than enough. I am amply supplied. Now that I have received from Epaphroditus the gifts you sent, they are a fragrant offering, an acceptable sacrifice, pleasing to God. And my God will meet all your needs according to the riches of his glory in Christ Jesus. To our God and Father be glory forever and ever. Amen. This is the word of the Lord. And the second reading is taken from Luke, chapter 12, reading verses 13 to 34 and can be found on page 1044 in the Church Bible. That's Luke, chapter 12, starting to to read at verse 13. The parable of the rich fool. Someone in the crowd said to him, Teacher, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. Jesus replied, Man, who appointed me a judge or an arbiter between you? Then he said to them, Watch out, be on your guard against all kinds of greed. Life does not consist in an abundance of possessions. And he told them this parable. The ground of a certain rich man 
yielded an abundant harvest. He thought to himself, what shall I do? I have no place to store my crops. Then he said, this is what I'll do. I will tear down my barns and build bigger ones. And there I will store my surplus grain. And I'll say to myself, you have plenty of grain laid up for many years. Take life easy, eat, drink and be merry. But God said to him, you fool, this very night your life will be demanded from you. Then who will get what you have prepared for yourself? This is how it will be with whoever stores up things for themselves that is not rich towards God. Then Jesus said to his disciples, Therefore I tell you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat or about your body, what you will wear, for life is more than food, the body more than clothes. Consider the ravens, they do not sow or reap, they have no storeroom or barn, yet God feeds them, and how much more valuable you are than birds. Who of you, by worrying, can add a single hour to your life? Since you cannot do this very little thing, why do you worry about the rest? Consider how the wild flowers grow. They do not labour or spin. Yet I tell you, not even Solomon, in all his splendour, was dressed like one of these. If that is how God clothes the grass of the field, which is here today and tomorrow is thrown into the fire, how much more will, be, will he clothe you, you of little faith? And do not set your heart on what you will eat or drink. Do not worry about it, for the pagan world runs after all such things, and your father knows that you need them. But seek his, seek his kingdom, and these things will be given to you as well. Do not be afraid, little flock, for your father has been pleased to give you all the kingdom. Sell your possessions and give to the poor. Provide purses for yourselves that will not wear out, a treasure in heaven that will never fail, where no thief comes near and no moth destroys. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. This is the word of the Lord. Good morning. Good morning. What a lovely welcome that was for me earlier. Thank you very much. It's really great to be back with you. It feels like uh, ages since I last came, so, and it's always really nice to be with you here on a Sunday. So thank you, Tim, for inviting me. Thank you, all of you, for making me feel so welcome. Let's pray, shall we? Holy Spirit, open our hearts. Open our minds. 
Help us to engage with this topic this morning of consumerism. Help us to be brave, Lord, to look at our own lives and be willing to allow your spirit to challenge them. In Jesus' name, amen. What in the world? Who am I? What am I worth and where am I going? Don't worry, I'm not having a midlife crisis. That is a whole set of seriously big questions, isn't it? And the big questions of today. Questions which, unless we grapple with them in the light of God's holy world, a word, the world will always try and answer for us. I've enjoyed reading Tim and Andy's talks on, uh, on this series. And so far you've had what in the world, an overview of the, the Western culture we're now living in, and you've had who am I, examining our Christian identity. Today we're going to explore what am I worth, looking at my absolute all-time favorite topic, shopping. <laughs> but more than shopping, consumerism. But firstly, do you actually like shopping? Do you? Do you like shopping? Ooh, ooh, oh, it's a mixed reaction. I thought it would be. Uh, I have to say, I'm not a big fan of shopping either. Online shopping, yes, I'm very good at that. It's a bit dangerous, actually. I can, uh, I can sit in my armchair at home and easily buy far too much uh, stuff very quickly. Um, but uh, traditional shopping, don't really like that. Um, but the other day, I went to uh, buy some camouflage trousers, uh, but I couldn't find any. Uh, so I went and bought one of those memory foam cushions, and now I can't remember where I've put it. Um, then I went to the butchers and I asked him for a leg of lamb, but he's giving me the cold shoulder. <laughs> and finally, I went to the music shop and I said, what have you got by the doors? The guy said, a bucket of water and some sand. <laughs> Sorry, I'm just warming up. Anyway, whether we like it or not, consumerism has shaped us all, hasn't it? It's, as a nation, it's, it's shaped us dramatically over the last four to five decades. It's shaped our language. It's shaped our use of words. And we now use brand names as verbs, don't we? So we have uh, to hoover, don't we? And we have uh, to superglue. Or darling, I'm just going to Velcro the cat to the carpet. <laughs> and you don't reach for your metal container, do you, these days, to store you know, your hot liquid in. If you go for a picnic, you, you reach for your thermos, your thermos flask. And my nose is running, so can you pass me a Kleenex? We've all been conditioned by brand names. They've invaded our vocab. But this is just a mere sideline. It's just a spin-off from a culture that is now encased within consumerism. So let's look at what consumerism is. How has it shaped our society? And how has it shaped us? So what is consumerism? Well, one helpful definition is that consumerism is commerce cheapened, for it leads us to know the price of everything and the value of nothing. That's quite deep, isn't it? So how does that work in reality? Well, imagine it's Saturday afternoon and you're whisked off by your loved one to that most beautiful place, the place they call the out-of-town shopping village, <laughs> where amidst the industrial cut-and-paste architecture of oak furniture land, Curry's, Halford's, B&Q, and my absolute favourite, Dunelm Mill, you end up... <laughs> buying more of what you don't really need. You're not sure you really want at a price you might not really be able to afford. But it's okay, 
because a nice, smiling person then offers you an affordable repayment plan. So that by the time that your new sofa, which you didn't necessarily want to buy, is eight years old, is stained, is frayed at the edges and smells like your pet Labrador, you will have paid it all off, usually with interest. So what now is its true value? It's very easy these days to be enslaved by accumulating stuff rather than being the master of it. All that, and you only popped out for a coffee. <laughs> Consumerism is commerce-run riot, for we become its slave rather than it submitting to us as masters. And how has consumerism shaped society? Well, years ago, the local high street with its independent stores provided everything we actually needed. You did your shopping because, well, you had to, didn't you? It was another one of life's chores. But since the post-war era, the landscape has dramatically changed. Our culture of mass production and overconsumption has compelled us as a society to swallow the lie of consumerism. A lie that tells us, if you have more money, then you need more stuff. It's a lie that has invaded our minds. So today we live in a world where we're made to feel that we need more than just the essentials. In fact, to be truly happy, we're told we need to keep acquiring and accumulating stuff. But of course, the flip side of all of that, something the manufacturers and the ad agencies will never admit to, is that a society that is trying to make itself happy through stuff has become an increasingly unhappy society and an increasingly anxious one. And how is consumerism shaped us. Well, firstly, it's affected how we spend time, hasn't it? For many, shopping has now become a leisure pursuit. Let's face it, many of us spend a lot of hours at work, don't we? Not to mention commuting for some. So that there isn't just time in our weeks to go shopping for the essentials. And so the out-of-town shopping village has replaced what we do at the weekends. We just go there because we need to. But it's also replaced the traditional village high street, hasn't it? Even each traditional high street these days or town centre is looking more and more the same. It's like a cut and paste of, of Costa, Starbucks, betting shops, the big five banks, Tesco, M&S and John Lewis. You go to any town centre in the, in the country, they all look the same, don't they? And when we go to the out-of-town shopping village or town centre, we can grab the essentials, which we need, but we can grab so much more. We can have lunch there. We can grab a coffee there. We can spend all day there if we want to and spend the money that we might not have. Time. Consumerism has affected how we spend time. And secondly, consumerism has enabled us to partake in a pseudo-religious experience whereby we enter this holy place. Like some might enter a temple or others might enter a church. Even the architecture of our flagship shopping malls is akin to going into a religious building with their vaulted ceilings and cathedral-esque cloisters. And here, we're going to be safe, aren't we? Because we're not alone. Others are enjoying this experience too. We're with like-minded pilgrims. We're all on a journey, all having this inward experience. Do you know where that is? It's blue water. Yeah. 
Now, for decades now, it has been drip-fed into our consciousness that it's the shopping mall, not the church, that can make us feel good about ourselves. Because in the shopping mall, we're not going to be judged or told what we should and shouldn't do. We can all be masters of our own destinies in the shopping mall. We can shop till we drop. We can enjoy a little bit of retail therapy. Because after all, L'Oreal keeps telling us that. We can all have a pseudo-religious experience. And thirdly, consumerism tricks us into thinking that we're ever so really very, very, very smart. Especially when we succumb to deals such as buy one, get one free. Because, well, I feel, I feel like I'm getting a bargain. When all I'm actually getting is extra packets of Jacob's cream crackers to clog up the larder. They go stale if you don't eat them. And even worse, when I go to Boots and I spend £10 on items that are £1 each, I feel like I've achieved a major heist on a multinational. <laughs> ha! Stuff you, Boots. I've got one over in you. I've got, I've got £10 worth of your stuff. But when I get home, I think, did I really need 10 Vaseline underarm deodorants? <laughs> or have I condemned myself to a life with imperial leather? <laughs> and now I haven't got that tenner left to buy my wife a Valentine's Day card. this Wednesday, Ash Wednesday. <laughs> and finally, though, not exhaustively, consumerism has made us all into the epicenters of our own lives. Okay? Our immediate needs lie at the heart of everything. We are the most important. We must have our needs met, and as easily as possible, thank you very much, and the irony is that most of the time, these aren't actual needs that we have, but they're desires that have been placed into our brains by those who are skilled at doing it. And as we become the center of our universes, consumerism teaches us to slowly forget others' needs. At this time of year, we're made to feel that we each deserve a holiday. It's a horrible time of year, January and February, isn't it? I don't like it. So we all need a holiday. Forget everyone else, just, just take a holiday. Have you noticed that straight after Christmas, we're slap bang into Thomas Cook's package holiday adverts on TV? It's relentless, isn't it? You know, that's it, darling, Christmas done. It's time to book a holiday. And so we get adverts with a live man and a beautifully tanned woman holding hands, running down to the swimming pool, slightly behind their beautiful seven-year-old son and their giggling four-year-old daughter. Everyone's so happy. I say everyone, but in the advert, there's no one else there. <laughs> there's no one there, is there? It's, it's just them. They've got the whole resort to themselves. Have you noticed? There's barely a ripple on the swimming pool. They're not even having to book their sun lounges at £22 per week to ward off the Germans. No, this is the perfect package holiday. <clears throat> or take adverts for the UK holidays, the ones to centre parks. Oh, my word. It's the same family. <laughs> There they are again. You know, only this time they're all in the woods with their cycling helmets on, all laughing at a joke that Daddy's just cracked as they cycle alongside bluebell-lined woodland, a woodland that is empty, <laughs> except for them. 
<laughs> this is the perfect UK holiday. But this is the illusion created by the ad agencies that you can have what you want, how you want it, whenever you want it. This is the dark art of consumerism to tempt us all into a world where we forget others and believe that our deepest longings can be met in isolation and by spending money on more stuff or more experiences. And as Andy mentioned in his sermon a couple of weeks ago, in the last 10 years, the amount of adverts we exposed to on TV has gone up from 500 in the 1970s to almost 5,000 a day. One advert of some kind or another every 11 seconds. And in this new era within our digital culture, the era of artificial intelligence, it's like we're now being stalked online. Don't you think? Each Google search or each social media interaction is monitored by the algorithms which track our every click. Within this new era of consumerism, I'm starting to detect a dehumanizing aspect to it all. One example being the new supermarket which uh, opened in Seattle a fortnight ago, Amazon Go. Did you see that on the news? Amazon Go, a place with no staff, just a shop. You access with your phone like uh, an airport barrier. You just put it on there and you go through the doors and you walk in and you take off the shelf whatever you want to eat or if you don't want you can put it back because it knows. It's very clever. And then you walk out without ever having to utter a word to anyone. It's fascinating if not a little daunting. I think it's all very dehumanizing. Now in our reading from Luke this morning we heard that most cutting of parables which Jesus told, the parable of the rich fool, a parable Jesus told in response to two brothers arguing over their inheritance. One of the brothers tries to drag Jesus into their family dispute, demanding that he settle it. No way, says Jesus, who made me the judge or arbiter over your dispute? And then Jesus utters those most sobering words. He says, take care, watch out, is another translation, take care care. Be on your guard against all kinds of greed. For one's life does not consist in the abundance of possessions. Powerful words. These are words which speak as much into the issue of identity, which Andy spoke about, as they do about our self-worth. At the root of consumerism is greed. And Jesus warns there is all kinds of greed. So to counteract that, we need to be people who cultivate the virtue of generosity. It's the antidote of greed. Now in this chilling parable, the thing about the rich man is that he thinks that he's got life sorted. He's made his money. He's feathered his nest. The one thing that concerns him is that he's, he's hit a ceiling, literally. Where will he put all his extra stuff the stuff that he's going to acquire in the future. Where's he going to store it all? So he plans to knock down the old barns and build some bigger ones to make room enough for more. But in all of this, he has had no regard for others and for the good things which he could do for them with his wealth. Just look at how many times the word I or my comes up in this short story. 
what he's amassed in life has blinded his social vision. All he can think about is himself. One of the translations reads, And I will say to my soul, Soul, you have ample goods laid up for many years, so relax, eat, drink and be merry. He is so blinded by what he's accumulated that he's begun to believe that he's the master of his own destiny. You fool. God says to him, this very night your life is being demanded of you. And the things you've prepared, (laughs) whose will they be? When we fail to hold on lightly to being well off, or when we fail to acknowledge and steward the little that we have, before God, when we keep God out of our material dealings, we fall foul to the trap of consumerism. And it begins to wrap its cords around our hearts. And we store up treasures for ourselves, except these treasures very quickly rot, rust, and decay. I was struck by Tim's words in his opening talk on Christian life in today's world. Tim wrote, We live in a world of very mixed and confusing aspects. And much of what we live with is so close to us that unless we are awakened to these things, we may never consider that our faith has anything to say about the world around us. That is the challenge to all of us, to know what our faith means in today's culture. Because otherwise, our Christianity will be a hiding place, an escape from the world, rather than the transforming presence in the world that it is meant to be. It's powerful stuff, isn't it? got to engage with this stuff this is the world we're living in today and we've got to have something to say to a world something that's distinctive so the world gets an alternative narrative rather than us just blending into whatever society does so it's time i think for the church to wake up and stop letting the tail of consumer culture wag the dog As Christians, we are called to be disciples, not consumers. A disciple is one who, by definition, has a personal attachment to a master, which shapes the whole of life and leaves no doubt as to who is in charge. So who's in charge of our life? How do we live as disciples within a world that is saturated by consumerism? How do we guard our hearts from getting hardened by stuff? How do we live as transformed by God, not conformed by consumerism? How do we focus not just on our needs, but the needs of others? And how do we live as followers of the Lord? The Lord. Here's some closing thoughts. Firstly, I think we need to become a lot better at self-reflection. In short, we need to start being honest with ourselves, reflecting on our spending habits, reflecting on our heart's desires, reflecting on whether or not we're being generous with what God's blessed us with. It's not wrong to shop. Hear me right. It's not wrong. There's nothing wrong with good old healthy commerce. It's how the world turns. It's not wrong to have stuff. But has stuff got hold of us? Why is it that we're wanting that next thing all the time? Do we really believe that our life won't be complete without it? A friend of mine always jokes about being a member of the cult of the next thing. He always wants the next gadget. Do we really need that next mobile phone upgrade? 
or next gadget of some kind in order to feel happy and complete? Do we really need it? Surely we're able to turn on the lounge lights without the help of Amazon Electra. Come on. <laughs> Paul wrote to his dear friends, the church at Philippi, and he commended them for their generosity towards him. There isn't another church in the New Testament that gets as much praise from Paul as these guys. They loved him. They absolutely loved Paul, and he absolutely loved them. They paid for his food when he was in prison. And Paul, always so insightful about life, even as he was writing from a prison cell, lets them, his beloved Philippian church, into a little secret about being content. He says, I've learned to be content whatever the circumstances. I know what it is to be in need, and I know what it is to have plenty. I have learned the secrets of being content in any and every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want. I can do all this through him who gives me strength. Contentment is the virtue we as disciples must cultivate in the church because it is the absolute antidote to one of the deadliest of sins, envy. And envy is a sin that lies at the very heart of the value system of consumerism. It wants us to compare our lives with others. No one likes envy. No one likes it as a character trait in, in other people. We, we tend to avoid people who sort of display envy. But we really like having stuff because we might think it makes others envious of us. We have to be really careful. Secondly, where and from whom are we deriving our self-worth? God or stuff? And what about others' needs? We, we don't have to be well-off to cultivate generosity, but with whatever we have, are we spending more time thinking about being generous than we are about what our next big purchase will be? How can we steward what ultimately comes from him to live counterculturally in a way that puts others, not ourselves, at the centre of our choices? Where we do have a clear choice about using our money and our possessions, how might we bring life to other people? How might this free us up to be more human and value each other more within community? Of course, we won't know the answer to all these questions unless we're brave enough to sit before God and take time to self-reflect. And thirdly, Consumerism is about more than shopping. More about our spending and leisure habits. On a micro level, it can affect how we treat other human beings, consumerism. We can, if you like, consume people, can't we? Is that person a means to an end for me? Is this relationship really giving me what I need? Can I get this person to do what I want at the expense of their feelings or needs? can affect how we treat people. And on a macro level, there's the fallout from consumerism, which sees us damaging a beautiful world, which God gave us to steward. So from watching Blue Planet 2 and seeing the miles of plastic in the ocean to seeing the horrors of the River Ganges now becoming a cesspool of unwanted plastic bags and drinks cans, consumerism really has got a lot to answer for. And it's not just our spending habits. It can influence both our humanity and our environment. 
So to finish, consumerism will do all it can to shrink our worldview for us, making the meaning of life all about you, all about me. Our, t- our task today as disciples in God's world is to allow the community of the Holy Trinity, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, to shape us as his church, for us to have an expansive view of the world, one that is concerned for everybody's well-being and not just our own. Each of us here today is so valued and so loved by God that if we really knew how much, we'd be blown away. Consumerism will always attempt to define and shape who we are and what it would have us become. Yet we know, I hope, that Jesus Christ calls, us, calls out to us on page after page after page of Scripture that our identity and our value is not in our stuff. It's hidden in him. Amen.